I think we should do spooky voices because it's October, and it's the thirteenth episode. Yeah. yeah. I'm Bill, and I'm T Dog, and this is two, two films, films too curious. As the president is spooky. <laughs> Where the two of us watch two movies. And we're curious about them. Uh, this is the first episode in October, and it's the 13th yep. episode, and we very much planned to watch The Shining and Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes. That was not something that happened on accident. Absolutely. We, we did, did not realize this. that today. No. An hour ago. <laughs> uh, what we were talking about, though, in these two movies mm-hmm. is setting as character. Yep. And... Because number 13 is very unlucky, I have the words today. Which means that they're going to be a lot longer than when you have the words. So, from TV Tropes, setting as a character. Oh, they have its own page. Of course it does. Oh, just wait. Do you see all of this? This is all of it. I thought that was also your podcast notes. Nope. (laughs) Setting as a character. In most works, the setting is static a backdrop against which the world itself is painted. The world affects the characters, but it doesn't interact with them. These works are different. Sometimes the setting itself is treated like a character in the work. It interacts with the characters, reacts to what they do. It's almost like the setting understands the characters and is one itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, this manifests in like film noir, where yeah. they, like, they're like, oh, forget it, it's Chinatown, or whatever. Or... Um, one of the examples on TV tropes was in Hangover 2 when they keep saying, no, no, Bangkok's got them now. This is different, however, from a genus loci. It's Latin. Sorry, genius loci. <laughs> it's Latin. Is a location with a mind. Yeah, this is, these are, well, one these of these are might settings be. At, right, well, yeah. A sentient planet, country, island, city, or street. In Doom Patrol, there's a sentient street. He's a he's a superhero. He's oh. a street and a superhero. And Obviously, Star Lord's dad and Star Wars dad ego. Yes, uh, that's actually the picture on the on the thing. Obviously, oh, yeah. this is a more common in science fiction and fantasy, though a certain amount of animism in otherwise realistic series isn't unknown, and it may be only suggested, mm-hmm. as it is in, in the, the Shining. Shining. Correct. Now, here's another interesting thing that was uh, presented to us by two films, three curious alum, the other Bill, uh, a man named M.R. James. M.R. James was an English author. He is best remembered for his ghost stories, which some regard as among the best in the genre. James redefined the ghost story for the new century by abandoning many of the formal gothic cliches of his predecessors and using more realistic contemporary settings. James perfected a method of storytelling which has since become known as Jamesian. Never heard of it. Me either. The classic Jamesian tale usually includes the following elements. One, a characterful setting in an English village, seaside town, or country estate, or an ancient town in France, Denmark, or Sweden, or a venerable abbey or university. Two, a nondescript and rather naive gentleman scholar as a protagonist, often of a reserved nature, like maybe... An unsuccessful when, writer. When was this guy writing his stories? His picture was a photograph, but it was black and white, and he was sitting to his side. 
think, because this is all reminding me of Lovecraft stuff so far too. Lovecraft is loved this I'm guy. Sure. Yeah, I would. I would not have been surprised to learn that. The discovery of an old book. Three. The discovery of an old book or antiquarian object that somehow unlocks, calls down the wrath, or at least attracts the unwelcome attention of supernatural menace, usually from beyond a grave. Ah, so just make it beyond the planet, and then it's Lovecraft right. instead. <laughs> According to James, the story must quote put the reader in the position of saying to himself, if I'm not very careful, something of this kind may happen to me. Uh-huh. He also perfected the technique... That's why you shouldn't read. Right. Books are bad. Print is dead. <laughs> Print is not dead. Please go to your local library. Uh, he also perfected the technique of narrating supernatural events through implication and suggestion, letting his reader fill in the blanks and focusing on the mundane details of his setting and characters in order to throw the horrific and bizarre elements into greater relief. Yeah, and you, you down always fear what you don't know. You always fear what you don't understand. Yeah. <clears throat> he summed up his approach in the foreword to the anthology Ghosts and Marvels thusly. Oh. Two ingredients most valuable in the concocting of a ghost story are, to me, the atmosphere and the nicely managed crescendo. Let us, then, begin be introduced to the actors in a placid way. Let us see them going about their ordinary business undisturbed by forebodings, pleased with their surroundings, and into this calm environment, let the ominous thing put out its head, unobtrusively at first, and then more insistently until it holds the stage. That is The Shining. Is good, yes. <laughs> and that reminds me of how... And I talk about this in the behind-the-scenes for The Two Towers mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings that right before the explosion of Helm's Deep, in order to not, because it's already a loud battle, mm-hmm. in order to not make it insanely loud, for just like a brief second before, it's completely silent. Mm. So really, that's at the same volume as the battle was, but because right, but of that, had that dip, dip. Right. which is what reminds me of this, like you're set, you're set, it's all right. good, hunky-dory. And then when you start from there, you don't have to go so high to make it a crazy thing like right. the ghost comes out or something like we're that we're introduced to sure maybe Jack Nicholson being a little abusive a lot abusive initially in the story and so we think that that's going to be the tension until we start to realize yeah. there's some sinister shit going on at the Overlook Hotel so Overlook no The Shining and Bad Times at the El Royale we're going to do mm-hmm. summaries do you want to summarize I'll, try, I'll summarize Bad Times at the El Royale and really Everyone has a bad time. Yes. That's it. That's the summary. Yeah. Well, wait. They're at the El Royale. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. The Shining. <laughs> no, so it starts off, um, you have, it's shot off in, and you find out later that where this is, camera was filming from, but you see a guy come into a hotel room, he's like kind of in a rush and kind of a little bit frantic, and he starts tearing up, he starts moving the furniture, tearing up the carpet, tearing up the floorboards, throws something in there, it looks like just like a big thing, a cache. Puts everything back. He can't even tell that anything was moved. Uh, eventually, he's waiting around. He gets a knock at the door, opens the door. He gets shot. Yep. Bam. That's our opening. Bad um, times. Bad. He did not have a good time. No. Now. One star review. In the present day, in the, of the movie at least, in right. the present day. Like that, was, that was obviously in the past. Um, you have these four characters that all show up at the hotel, and it's called the El Royale. Its whole kind of gimmick is that it's built right on the line between Nevada and California, so half of the hotel is in. You have, like, these are the Nevada rooms. These are the California rooms. There's certain things, like, you can't buy liquor on this side because we don't have a liquor license in Nevada and stuff like that. Um, 
But you have Catholic priest Daniel Flynn. You have a singer, Darlene Sweet, a vacuum salesman, Laramie Sullivan, and a rebellious teen named Emily Summerspring. You kind of get to know these characters as they're all waiting around before the, um, the sole employee of the hotel, Miles Miller, shows up. So right, you, they're pretty evocative. Like you can you can get the gist of their personalities yes. as presented. Yes, uh, Laramie Sullivan is obviously touch racist, right? Sexist, kind of a dick. <laughs> he's he's like a fast talking salesman. Like oh, no, no, I got to buy my vacuums, this right. and that. Um, Darlene is obviously very keeping to herself. So Darlene obviously isn't caring about really the other employ the other. Guests at the hotel, she's like, I want my room. I want to go to my room. I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm on my own. Right. Even rebuffing Father Flynn, Flynn who's right. trying to be nice, but... Understands that she off. may not want... Yeah. Yeah, but he, he, he's respecting that also. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, Emily Summerspring, who just shows up and is like, fuck you. That's what she right. signs the ledger as. It just says, fuck you. Um, obviously not a very nice person. So they all get checked in. They all go to their rooms. Um, first, we see most of... Sullivan, he calls his wife and kids, and now his voice is totally different because it's all an act that he's putting on. You find out that he's an FBI agent. He's here to take out all like the wiretaps and things that they have in the room so that the FBI can get info on whoever stays in these rooms, um, which is why he was real adamant about the room that he wanted to have when he checked in. He kind of gets suspicious. Uh, he sees that his... There's a space behind his mirror because he kind of measures out the distance. Uh, so he sneaks back into the main lobby of the hotel. He sneaks past Miles, who is passed out from heroin. Yeah. Uh, and he finds that each room, the mirror in each room is a two-way mirror, and they have speakers so they can hear what's going on in the room, and there's a camera, like a tripod set up. So he's like, this is e like even further beyond what the FBI is doing in this area. This is someone else is doing this. Right. Um, as he's looking through these rooms, he sees that Darlene is singing. He sees that Father Flynn is tearing up the floorboards in his room. And he sees that Emily is has kidnapped someone. Yeah. She has a young girl with her that she ties up to a chair and everything. Uh, he calls the FBI. They tell him, no, don't don't interfere. No one can leave the hotel. So he goes through and he unhooks, like takes a wire and stuff out of everyone's car so no one can leave. And then against the orders, he decides to try to save that girl because he's like there's a kidnapping i'm i have to he's a good person he has like, right. i gotta save them so he busts his way in uh gets the best of emily but then emily gets back up she has a shotgun just blows him to kingdom come right uh he's he's very dead the but it deadest. also shatters the mirror and she sees what's behind it at the same time that all this is happening father flynn goes around he asks um darlene if she would join him for like some just to have some company to get a drink get some food in the hotel uh, they go, they're just kind of chatting. He confesses to her that he has kind of onset dementia. There's a lot of things he can't remember. And, like, when she first sees him, he's just standing there, like, looking at the sky and because he, he can't remember. Um, but she knows the whole time that something is off, that he's, he's not a priest. Like, she can just tell his mannerisms. He's drinking. Like, maybe just, like, how cavalier he is about the alcohol. Maybe, like, some kind of part of it. Um, he... Gets her a drink. He starts putting something in that he's going to drug her for what, you know, purpose we don't know at this point. Uh, but then she smashes him upside the head with a <laughs> bottle, which scared the shit out of me when I saw it in the theater. Oh, every time. It's, I just jumped. That was the scariest part of the movie to me. I said, I said bad words at the El Royale. <laughs> uh, he gets 
bashed up on the head. Eventually, he wakes up. Miles finds him. He's come out of his, you know, heroin fun times at the El Royale. <laughs> and because he's a priest, Miles feels the need to confess of these things that he's done at the El Royale and before, which we'll find out about later. But he kind of shows Father Flynn where this back room where you can see into each room. And Miles is standing right behind the mirror when Emily shoots Sullivan. And so Father Flynn sees him get shot. And yeah. he's like on the ground crying. He's not dead because the body and then the glass took a fair amount of the of the buckshot, at least from any kind of vital areas where he would right. die immediately. Father Flynn runs back outside. He sees Darlene's in her car because after she saw, she was kind of saw Sullivan get shot after she hit out or knocked out Father Flynn. Um, it's just this is a very like kind of convoluted thing because it's all right. happening simultaneously. Uh, so she gets in her car. She finds the wire. She hooks up her car. She can't get it started. Still, Father Flynn gets in the car and he's like, "Look, I'll, I'm going to tell you everything." I was a bank robber, and you get a, you get a flashback of him and his two partners, one of which was the guy at the very beginning of the movie, uh, on their escape. You don't see the bank robbery, but on their, like, running away from the bank robbery. Um, and he's like, I honestly couldn't remember which room the money was buried in. I'm certain it's in your room. It's not in my room. That's why I was going to drug you. I wasn't going to do anything to you. I just wanted to get into the room so I could find the money. And he's like, I'll, I'll give you half of it if you help me get the money. So then they team up. Um, they sneak and it's a very very cool scene they they get into her room they know about the two way mirrors now obviously so Darlene is just singing and kind of like stomping on the ground in time with the music and at the same time Father Flynn's like hitting getting out the the, um, the boards on the bottom of the floor so that when Emily walks by and sees that she just sees Darlene singing she has no idea what's going on in there um, you find out that that's Emily's little sister Rose is who she had kidnapped and that actually because you get a flashback of this uh she was part of like this cult like it's she ran away from home they had a very abusive household right um rose ran away from home and joined just because she's like a like 12 or 13 like she's a very young girl right joins this cult that's charles run manson by, cult essentially yeah and it's is inspired by charles manson yeah. too um well, charles manson one not charles manson two. no yeah charles manson the first all right uh, it was just run by this, by Thor, actually. Yeah. Uh, Thor himself. It's a no, by, neo-Volkish cult. <laughs> uh, by Chris Hemsworth. And his name is Billy Lee. You find out that Rose has called Billy Lee, and now he knows where they are, and he's right. on his way. At this point, Emily's interrogating um, Miles. Like, why are there cameras? What the kind of fucked up hotel is this? And he talks about all the things he's seen. Like, senators have come and done things talks about a guy that got in bed with like a feral wolf and it took off all his clothes sexual, and he didn't do anything yeah <laughs> didn't and just laid with it and cried like all yeah. night like the, like just the fucked up things that he's seen in this hotel that he he's the only person here he sends his tapes to his bosses that's all that he knows about it um billy Lee shows up right as darlene and father flynn are escaping with the money take them into the main room uh and then you just get to see how fucking crazy billy lee is right He's got this weird thing where he thinks that, like, everything is black or white. There's no gray. He's right. like, pick this or this. So it ends up in this kind of main, like, climax of the whole movie, the sequence with a roulette wheel where he's telling yeah. people, you pick a color and you're the other color. Whichever color it lands on, I'm going to shoot that person. Nobody picks or, green or du zero or double zero, which is really disappointing. Yeah. 
Like he picks so eventually uh Emily picks one and her she's against Miles. She ends up losing. She he just shoots her point blank, like, alright, it's done. Yeah. Should be said he also has three or four like Goons. lackeys with him. Yeah. yeah, who also have guns to everyone's back, so no one's gonna like try to run away. Um The power goes out at a certain point, Darlene sings. Um Eventually it comes to they're gonna shoot I can't remember who Father Flynn jumps up out of his chair and tackles Billy Lee. Yeah, headbutts him. Headbutts him and just, like, starts going ham on him. John Ham's already dead at this point, but he starts going ham on him. Um, Darlene kicks the table over. They end up, her and Miles, they have a gun, and Miles is like, I can't can't kill any more people. And he's like, she's like, what? How many people have you killed? And what is it? 100 and something, yeah. And you get his flashback. He was, like, a crazy good sniper in... Vietnam, in the Nam, and just in like killed you know, 123 people. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, eventually, he kind of snaps out of it. I, I totally skipped Darlene's backstory. Is that she has been in the music business for a long time, and she's met some very scummy people that were like, you know, spend a night with me, and I'll make you famous. And she was like, no. Yeah. And she ran away from all that. That's why she's on her own singing now. Um, I think that's the only backstory that I missed. I think so. Um, Anyways, he Miles kind of snaps out of it, starts killing lots of people, kills everyone basically. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't kill Rose, who's now distraught at Billy Lee's death, so she stabs him. Yeah. And Father Flynn shoots her, and then at the last kind of moment you have is you have Flynn and um, Darlene comforting Miles as he dies, even though you know at this point that Father Flynn's not a priest, he pretends to be a priest again. Miles dies at peace, and then Darlene and Flynn leave with the money. You have a little credit after credit scene of that. Not after credits, but like any yeah. scene where you see uh, Darlene is singing in Reno and Father Flynn's watching her. Yeah. That's that's bad times at the El Royale. And then good times at Reno. Right. And I have to, I want to say that other than looking at my at the summary on Wikipedia for the names, yeah. I then was able to do it. Oh. I'm very proud of myself. Impressive. Most I'm going to do the same thing with The Shining. <laughs> There's a demon hotel, and it kills Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and that's The Shining. No, okay, so uh, Jack Nicholson is a former teacher slash uh, aspiring writer who uh, takes a job at the Overlook Hotel with his family where he will uh, sort of caretake the hotel during the wintry off-season when it's too cold and snowy to do anything in the mountains. His wife is coming... And she's uh, talking to a doctor who's looking at their son who seems to be just not doing well. And the doctor's like, what's going on? And she's like, well, he's got this imaginary friend that, like, talks through his finger. Tony? Toby? Tony. Tony. Toby. Tobias, actually. (laughs) Ah, there we go. Um, And she was like, well, dad used to be drunk and abusive. But he's not those things anymore. And she's like, okay. a long time, yeah. Right. Uh, and Jack Nicholson is doing the, the tour of the hotel. They've basically given him the job, and the guy's like, look, full disclosure, one of the other caretakers of this hotel, uh, I don't know, something happened, he snapped, he went crazy, and he killed his whole family. Twin daughters, his wife killed himself too. Like, I don't think that that's a thing. It's But some people say I need to let you know. So I'm telling you, do with that information what you will. 
And Jack Nicholson's like, fuck that, I'm not into superstitious shit. And so they all decide that they're going to go up there. They get up there, and his family's up there too, and they're getting a full tour of the hotel to see all of the, where they're going to be staying and how the kitchen works. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Danny, the son, and what's the mom's name? Mom. Mom. Mom Torrance are all... Wendy? Wendy, yes. They, um, they are in the kitchen with Scatman Crothers, who, uh... Plays Dolomon, right? Something like that? Dolomon? Something like that, yeah. Um, oh, Halloran. Yeah, Halloran. Halloran. Um, and he's like, he's well, talking yeah, to... Because his name's Dick Halloran. Yeah, Dick <laughs> Halloran. Um... Well, it's gone now. Dick Halloran is all we can think about. Dick Halloran is the point of The Shining, and that's the movie. <laughs> no, um, Halloran is is talking to Danny, and he's like, "Danny, you you know things," and he he's like, "Yeah, I guess." And he's like, "You can talk to people without talking to them." And he's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "That's how I knew that sometimes your parents call you Doc." And he's like, "Oh, he's like you've got the shine. You can, you've got you know, preternatural powers like, yeah, and stuff." And uh, he's like. This, this hotel has the shine. Sometimes, like people, places can have the shine. Yeah. Like, but Especially it's just like pictures. when you have imprints right. of those things, those bad things Events, that good and bad, he says. Yeah. But they're just imprints. They're just pictures. They can't hurt you, he says. Uh, except that they can when they possess your dad, Jack Torrance. <laughs> As the movie progresses, you see them sort of settling into their life at the hotel, and Jack Torrance has pretty severe writer's block. Um, and initially, it's it's not bad. Like no, they're just they're they're, they're just yeah. An okay it's time. quiet, yeah. but yeah. And then slowly, Jack just continues to detach and detach and detach and no longer be a part of his family. And he's like staring off into space, and he's looking real weird. And while these things are happening, Danny starts seeing some of the sinister shit that went down in this hotel. The little girls who were dead and. Uh, a whole bunch of other weird nonsense, which culminates both of these things in uh, Danny coming down with like his shirt torn and like some marks on his neck. And Wendy's like, "Oh my God, Jack! Like you did this to him? I can't believe you would do that. Like we, we like stay away from him." And then Danny is like, tells her that it was a weird lady in room two thirty seven, the Forbidden Room. Which even Dick Harmon was like, "You don't, don't go, go in there." Two thirty seven. Um, and so, like, Wendy comes down and is like, Jack, it wasn't you, it, although she never actually says that, but, um, it's it like, was, it's a, it's yeah, a crazy, there's a crazy lady, lady like, in room 237. Like a, someone's living here, like a homeless right. person snuck in, like, not, she doesn't even, at that point, believe in the supernatural thing. Right. And so, Jack goes up there and sees, <clears throat> uh, a young, attractive lady in the bathtub who approaches him, uh, in, in her full nakedness mm-hmm. and embraces him gently and then he looks in the mirror and sees that it is actually an old rotting lady with like seeping sores and and nastiness the on same her flesh Just and, chunks yeah. of flesh and so then that's a whole thing and oh that's the wife i don't know why i didn't oh, connect that oh yeah you see the girls? I bet it that's is. the wife that's the wife that he killed huh. i never i only just now thought of that Shh, we're supposed to say that'll be that's later on fun fact <laughs> The ladies, the wife. <laughs> um, no, they uh, later on like that. That freaks him out, and then uh, oh, a storm starts brewing up, and a real bad one. right, Halloran is like, "There's some shit going down at that hotel," 
And so he gets, like, he calls the cops, and the cops are like, yeah, we'll radio up. And they radio up, and there's no thing. He's like, nah, nobody answered, but it's fine. It's a big storm. And Halloran's like, is no fine. And so he flies up there, and he's going to go up to talk to them. Uh, while this is happening, I forgot, uh, Jack has been, as, a, as an indicator of his descent into madness, he goes into the gold room, the ballroom, and sees a bartender there. And starts, like, chatting with the bartender and drinking and, like, airing his troubles. Mm -hmm. And, like, talking about how, like, Wendy blames him for Danny's injury and how it wasn't his fault. And uh, after the... After he deals with the witch late, the dead lady... It makes me think of a witch. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, like, he goes back to the, the bar and, like, there's a lot of people in the bar now and uh, a guy comes in and, like, like accidentally spills some drink on him, and so they're like, hey, let's go to the bathroom, we'll clean it up, and the guy is like, hey, my name is the same name as the Wayne old caretaker. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, Mr. Grady, yeah. And he was, and he's like, Didn't, weren't you used to be the old caretaker here? And he's like, no, 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 no. And Jack's like, yeah, you were. And he's like, yeah, I was. We gotta get rid of your family. They're bad. They're bad, and we need to get they rid need of them. They need to be them. corrected. Right, they need to be corrected. What? Killed. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so they he goes and he's he goes to attack his family and Wendy's having none of it. It's got a baseball bat. She's trying to protect herself. Jack Nicholson chops down a door and says, Here's Johnny, and Danny gets set free, and then Jack Nicholson kills Halloran. Because mm-hmm. Halloran's up there now. And, and he then, shows up he's only there for a matter of seconds right. before Jack kills him. Wendy is hiding and uh, the house is like, go kill Danny. And so Jack goes to kill Danny. The house doesn't actually say that. That's yeah. what happens in his heart. And he goes to attack Danny. And Danny ba- uh, goes into the hedge maze that's there mm-hmm. and then backtracks out of the hedge, ma- hedge, hedge maze. And then and Wendy... Covers, like, messes yeah. up his tracks. Wendy yeah. gets him and they flee. And Jack Nicholson dies frozen in the hedge maze. And the last shot is that he's been there the whole time. Yeah. At the hotel. Yeah. The end of that got real quick because I just realized how... It, and this super quick in what was it a really long is movie. yeah 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 it's a it's a slow it is, build <clears throat> it is a uh a movie. an introduction to the actors in a placid way going about their ordinary business undisturbed by forebodings pleased with their surroundings <laughs> for a very long time and then transitions into an ominous thing that puts its head out first, unobtrusively yep. at first and then more insistently until it holds the stage. Thank the you. Hotel. Two films, three curious <laughs> alum, Bill Mike Sell. <laughs> so that's uh, that's The Shining and Bad Times. Do you have any uh, fun facts for us? I do have some fun facts. Ooh. Just, ooh. just a couple fun of facts. Actually, of while you're looking up the fun facts, um, oh. a shout out to our, our uh, another friend of... The podcast co-tagonist Chris, who, in addition to giving us a box of delightful hamburger helper, lasagna flavored, also <laughs> gave us a wonderful book called the Stanley Kubrick Archive, Stanley Kubrick Tashin Bibliotheca Universalis. You forgot the top part, Allison. Oh, Castle. sorry, Allison Castle, E.D. ED the Stanley Kubrick Archive, <laughs> Stanley Kubrick Tashin Bibliotheca Universalis where it has a lot of really dope information about all of the Stanley Kubrick things, Mm -hmm. uh, (coughs) including a large chunk on The Shining. And here is an interesting quote that I think is relevant. From Stanley Kubrick to Michael Cement in 1980. Quote, I wanted the hotel to look authentic rather than like 
the traditionally spooky movie hotel. The hotel's labyrinthine layout and huge rooms, I believed, would alone provide an eerie enough atmosphere. It seemed to me that the perfect guide to this approach could be found in Kafka's writing style. His stories are fantastic and allegorical, but his writing is simple and straightforward, almost journalistic. Almost like an introduction to the actors in a placid way, <laughs> seeing them going about their ordinary business undisturbed by forebodings. Exactly. You know? Exactly such. Full fucking circle. That's it. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you. That's full circle. I'm sorry. Do your fun facts. Um, in the movie, and this is how I learned the difference between a hotel and a motel. Actually. Fuck! I literally wrote that down because that was going to be my silly difference. Oh. I'm sorry. What's your fun fact? In the movie, it's called the El Royale Hotel. It's actually a motel and yeah. a hotel because oh. it you have it's a motel on the outside, but all the rooms are connected through the hotel through a internal hallway. Right. So it's a secret hotel. But they call motel. it a hotel, so the guy should have known right. something was fishy. Although I wouldn't have known because I only knew that I only learned this now. I knew that motel was a portmanteau of motor, motor hotel, and that generally the idea is I that one is quicker that. than the other. Oh, well, yeah. Motel is not a... Rarely is it a destination, which yeah. is probably why they call it the El Royale Hotel, Yeah. even though it is a motel. It is structurally a motel and but intrinsically a hotel. Anyways. Um, it was released the same day as First Man. Ah. Another period piece sent in 1969 shot on film with Shea Wingham in the cast. Oh. So that's kind of creepy. That's yeah. kind of weird. They're both set in 1969. <laughs> um, assuming that the press conference that they show on TV happens that day, we know that this takes place on January 27th, 1969. Oh, neat. So that's also kind of cool. Um, it was shot on actual film with tradi- without traditional set lighting. It was all lit, like, naturally. That I knew, actually. It was if you, enough to allow the light in. If you watched... If those of you who watched concurrently with us uh watch bad times of the El royale on something that includes bonus features there's not a lot of bonus features but one of them is about the set of oh, the El royale oh. and there's some really bomb ass information there just of color palette and construction and just the sheer volume of shit that went into making this movie is really quite interesting that almost sounds like an insult saying the sheer volume of shit that went into making this movie <laughs> the sheer volume of <laughs> actual literal defecation <laughs> People that had to go. This movie. You know? Yeah. And then my favorite fun fact for this movie, which when you think Chris Hemsworth, and even in this film, he's shredded. Absolutely shredded. He had to lose 30 pounds of muscle between Infinity War, after Infinity War, to film this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he had to fucking lose muscle. And that loss of muscle was in conjunction with stopping exercising, and that's why he's so fat in Avengers Endgame. <laughs> it's yeah, not it's a bodysuit. It's not a bodysuit. Uh, this thing for The Shining I found to be super interesting because you know Kubrick and half of the stuff on the trivia is like, Kubrick was a dick to this person. All right. He made them do a take a hundred times. He made them do this and that. But because Danny Lloyd was so young, and since it was his first acting job, so yeah. Kubrick was very protective of him. Huh. During the shoot, Lloyd was in the impression he was making a drama, not a horror film. Uh, in fact, when Wendy carries him away while shouting at Jack in the Colorado Round, she's carrying a life-size dummy oh. because he didn't want him to be around people shouting and stuff. Sounds like Jack was the life-size dummy. <laughs> but he didn't want him to be in that scene with people yeah. shouting at him. Interesting. Uh, he only realized the truth several years later 
he, he saw a heavily edited version. He didn't see the unedited version until he was 17 years old. Huh. So that's, I just thought that was... Yeah, that's super interesting. That's a, really neat. That's a very <coughs> uncharacteristic thing for Kubrick. But right. It makes sense with a... If you were a dick to a kid, I feel like you wouldn't last very long. And No. Well, you would in the studio yeah, era yeah, of movies. Yeah. Rip Judy Garland. Not not in the modern day. No. Uh, the idea for Danny to move his finger while Tony was talking was yeah. his idea. Oh, kid. was Danny's idea? Yeah. Oh, interesting. He did it spontaneously during his first audition. Huh. Which, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, red rum. Yeah, red rum. The snow was actually 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam. Ah, interesting. So it was probably very hot. Yeah. Filming those frozen scenes. And the last one I have is that all the interior rooms were filmed in a studio in England, including the Colorado Lounge, where Jack does his typing. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, probably one of the most visited areas in the film. Uh, because of the intense heat generated from the lighting used to recreate window sunlight, the room took 700,000 watts of light per window. If you were on Gritty, that'd be too much money. Yeah. By the way, we do not have endorsements here, but if we did, it wouldn't be from Gritty. So No, absolutely not. Um, the lounge actually caught on fire after wow. they had, because of how intense the light was, because they wanted to make it yeah. snowy. Yeah. Like Obviously, snow reflects a lot of light. A lot, yeah. Um, but they'd already finished building it, or finished filming, so they built it again with a higher ceiling, and the same area was used by Steven Spielberg for the Well of the Souls tomb in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, Interesting. So once it had the higher ceiling, they used it for the snake pit. Jumping right in, I guess, then, to similarities and differences, similar to that about all of the interior shots being on a stage, the entirety of the El Royale was on a soundstage. The entire hotel. They tried and failed to find a hotel that would be the right structure to make the inside Mm -hmm. make sense, but... They couldn't, so they built the entire set on one lot. That's cool. How cool is that? If only they had actually built it like they did with the Shire after the fact, so that right. we could go visit go and like stay, stay at the, the El Royale. That'd be cool. I do think it's interesting it'd be, too. It could be like they could do like a murder dinner party. Every I would night love to because... do a murder dinner party at the El Royale. Every oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> Another similarity: if you go to stay at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, the hotel that Stephen King got the inspiration for The Shining from, they show The Shining on one channel, 24/7? on repeat. Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, a difference related to those two things is that I think The Shining, no, the El Royale is not supposed to be a mystery. I mean, we uncover a mystery about the hotel, but the structure of the hotel is not supposed to be a mystery once you're holding all the cards. You're like, oh, this is right. And as we heard from the quote in the book, the structure of The Shining is inherently mysterious. You're never supposed to get the layout of the piece. I was uh, reading a really horrible thing on the internet where people were trying to give their hot takes about movies. This guy was like, I don't think Stanley Kubrick's all that great. And everybody was like, you're a moron. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that he said was like, The Shining's not that scary. There's not any scary things in it. And, he, and it's just a hotel. And the guy was like, I think that actually one of the scariest things about The Shining is how you can, in your head, like it's super unnerving that you can never get the layout right. Yeah. On purpose. You're not supposed to be able to get the layout right. And I think that's super neat. Yeah, you know where these specific little scenes are and not where they're related to any to the to other scenes. Right. It's almost You're as like, if it's like oh, some other plane this, of existence. Yeah, like This is their bedroom, right, but you don't know area, how to get from their bedroom area. to anywhere else. Right. Even though we see tracking shots of Danny riding through the hotel, it's as if 
the riding through the hotel shots are an entirely different place. Like little little pods of planet mm-hmm. smattered throughout. It's very ethereal. It's very ominous thing that is put out <laughs> in heads. It, at first, unobtrusively, yeah. right, and then more insistently until it holds the stage. One of my major differences for these films are the music. And oh, okay. the music's yeah. purpose in the film and how it's presented in the film. Okay. In Bad Times of the Overreal, there's a lot of singing. Almost mm-hmm. all music is diegetic because of this boombox. Yeah. Well, there's jukebox. the jukebox yeah, and yeah, then on the radio. And, yeah. yeah. The jukebox and then Darlene singing is 90% of the music that plays during this. And it's all songs. It's, yeah. They're... There's a little bit there's of score. Very, yeah, there's very but, little score. Yeah. Whereas in The Shining, you have none of it's diegetic, like Except people singing. maybe at the very end when you hear the music from the party. Oh, as yeah. As the picture is showing. Yeah. But anyways. But 1% of the music is right. diegetic. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the... It's just this, like, grating terrifying music yeah. honestly without the music it would not be nearly as scary as a film no, I don't the, think. the music really does because it's the just like this droning that that something's wrong like almost you know like jaws wrong. level of good how scary yeah. it is yeah. another interesting similarity slash difference i think is that both the el royale and the overlook hotel are like destination places mm-hmm. like you don't go you don't go to just stay at the El Royale, although all four of them did. Um, it used to be this, like, hop in place. Like, mm-hmm. people, anybody who was anybody was there. Like, the guy says at the beginning, John Hamm's character is like, the only reason, he says, that he's sleeping in the honeymoon suite is because it's the only time he's ever going to be able to sleep in the honeymoon suite. Like, back when this was a popular place, he couldn't yeah. even get, like, a like a shitty room in this hotel. <laughs> and the Overlook is this, like, amazing ski resort. Um, but the Overlook is in the off-season. And it's so far out of the way that like, right. the snowplows don't go up there. Right. right. And the El Royale is dying. It doesn't have its gambling license anymore, and so it's not going to be a successful hotel anymore. Which is the difference, I think. That the only reason that The Shining can be scary is that nobody's staying at it. And they're and, trapped. Right. Yeah. And the only reason that The El Royale is scary is that it's such a... It's such a rare place to be that it just so happens that a lot of sinister shit is happening all at the same time and that all these people showed up at the same time right right um more people die in in the el royale yeah oddly yeah substantial number yeah we see we see only one person die in the shining is that true two well yeah one person killed and one person die right because you have Halloran dies get or gets killed, and then and then you see Jack frozen as right a, as a popsicle outside. Yeah, we'll censor that later. <laughs> um, here's a weird one I have written down. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, uh, we oftentimes uh, towards the end of the movies get invested in the movie. Also, we've had yes a piece, half a bottle of champagne or so. And so sometimes my notes get a little sporadic towards the end. <laughs> but this note is not that way, although it is odd. <clears throat> this little point from Bad Times at the El Royale. The hotel didn't start the movie whole. Uh, a couple of the rooms were unfit when we first see mm-hmm. the El Royale. He's like, you can't go into these rooms. But like the other characters in the movie, the hotel and everybody else is a 
broken or unwhole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Miles is an unwhole. He has he has trouble in his heart. His PTSD. Right. Uh, Flint, Father Flynn can't remember things. And he, he was a bank robber. He's right. Got, yeah, he's got a not good background. Uh, Viola Davis's character. Is, no, Darlene. not Viola Davis. Uh, shit, what's her name? Uh, Darlene? Yeah, what's her real name? I don't know. I just uh, characters' names. She's so great. I always get her and Viola Davis confused because they're both in Widows, which is weird because as much as I like that movie, it's not the movie that I think of. <laughs> Cynthia Erivo. Sorry. Cynthia Erivo's character is uh, really like a starving artist trying to be successful but isn't quite there yet. Uh, but the hotel is also not a fully complete hotel. And like a lot of other characters in the movie, the hotel at the end dies. Yeah. We watch the hotel go further and further and further into disarray until it dies. As opposed to the Overlook, which Mm -hmm. is fully pristine at the end of the movie. Except for some blood. And attempts to kill (laughs) the people that live in it. The El Royale dies. The Overlook kills. The Overlook ultimately doesn't win because it doesn't get Danny, which is what it wanted. Right, it wants to eat Danny's shine. It's not in any worse place. Do you know literally anything about Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining? That people are trying to get people's shine. Is that the deal? Yeah. Okay. That makes That's sense. Like people the, are trying like, to get people's shine, or yes. places are trying to people. get people. Okay. Like the from what I saw, that's like the one sentence, like not tagline, but like yeah, the synopsis or whatever you would have on like Wikipedia is that E. McGregor is playing an older Danny now. Oh God, I didn't know it was Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. I fucking love you, McGregor. He's in the Star Wars. He is. He's in three of them. And he is trying to save someone who has the shine, like this teenage girl, I think, from these people that are trying to get now both of their shines, I guess. Oh. Like a cult or something. Neato. So it's almost like a combination like, of bad right. times and the shining. <laughs> bad times at the Overlook Royale. Bad shines. Bad shines <laughs> at the overalls. That got away from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Both. Now, the first scene in The Shining is Jack getting the hotel, right? Not Wendy and Danny. Well, the first scene in The Shining is them, the opening credits is them driving to the hotel and then Jack getting to the hotel and being interviewed. Okay. So this is a difference then. That Bad Times at the Royale starts and ends with the same two people. Oh, never mind. I thought it was you had a. I thought I had a difference that was very similar. I'm oh. sorry. It starts with the same two people that got to the hotel. Okay. Yes. But yeah. The Shining doesn't. Does not because no. it's if it were if it now if it did show Danny and Wendy in the first scene then it would be the same because they're the ones that make it in the end. Right. Although the last shot that we see though is on Jack. It's on Jack True. in the photograph. So it does end. That's a similarity. It starts with Jack and it ends with Jack. Yeah. My similar difference is also the way that they start. Oh. Uh, we start Bad Times at the El Royale inside the hotel. And we in are, the past. Right, in the past. Although, more importantly, we are, at least for this difference, the El Royale is supposed to be a protagonist character that we identify with. We are there, we're in it, we're looking at it. Uh-huh. We are with the character. The beginning of The Shining is us approaching The Shining. We don't know. And it's already or, sorry, approaching the Overlook Hotel. It's ominous. We don't know this character, the hotel. We're a little apprehensive of it. It is not one of our friends. So if we're going to continue this whole bit about the hotels being characters, the hotels and motels mm-hmm. being characters, 
Bat the El Royale is our friend, and the Overlook is not. El Royale is a protagonist and a hero. The Overlook is an antagonist and a villain. Although, as you find more about the El Royale, maybe you don't identify with it so much. Well, I don't know. I think that I think that even though I mean, there's a lot of sinister shit going on, but do we not all have dark secrets we don't want to get out? Not involving feral wolves. Well, that makes one half of two films too curious. That guy stole my pen, remember? <laughs> You're um, not wrong. And that's a problem with a feral wolf, but you didn't lay in bed with a feral wolf. I did not lay in bed with a feral wolf. That is true. Two films too curious, protagonists, <laughs> please note that zero halves of two films too curious have laid in bed with a feral wolf. Uh, but no, I think that... Um, it's interesting that, like, it's if if we if we are believing that both places are characters, they're they're one of them is obviously good mm-hmm. and one of them is obviously bad. Yes. Also, uh, if we go to the definitions that I had from before, that the El Royale is setting as a character, and the Overlook is genius loci. Mm-hmm. Is Latin C's a K sound or an, or an S sound? I have no idea. I don't know either. I hate the letter C. When geniuses lock eyes. Yeah. Um, but if that's if that's the case, then the avatars for both of these settings as characters are also either directly or indirectly the avatars for these places. Miles is theoretically the avatar of the El Royale, mm-hmm. but he's not actually the El Royale. He lit, he works there. He has like the El Royale, uh, pleasing if not vacant facade, and a dark secret underneath, as opposed to Mister Grady and the bartender of the Overlook, that are absolutely actual physical manifestations of the character that is the hotel, and they are just as schmarmy horrible as the, as the hotel. hotel is. Mm-hmm. And even the young slash old lady. Boom. The more I think about this, the more I really love this comparison. Whoever picked these two movies was a fucking genius. Who picked these? Oh. It's me. It's me, you guys. I realize <laughs> this is like the third time that I've like gestured. And this is an audio <laughs> format. You can't see shit. Anyways, I'm sorry. Um... As I have as a similarity for both these films that mm-hmm. you have these little snippets of the past mm. that in obviously in um, The Shining it's more overt well I guess I know it's less overt yeah you have these you hear about Jack's drinking and abuse problems mm-hmm. you hear what happened in the hotel you see these people but not necessarily the act of it yeah whereas in Bad Times it's a literal seven years ago this happened like it's a very this is what happened in the past versus, like, they allude to it in The Shining. But you both have both of these snippets, and they affect the present in both of them. If I can be a little Rhett 1301 intro freshman uh, literary hot take right now. Bring us back to, the, to the our founding actual of our friendship. <clears throat> the Shining is the setting is a character, which is why all of the flashback snippets we see are not of... The characters remembering their past, but it it's is of, of the, the Shining remembering past. its past, which means 
that Bad Times at the El Royale is characters as a setting. That we see the flashbacks that set the scene that is the current iteration of the members of the El Royale, which help us further illuminate the immediate story plot. We've cranked this right open. We have to redo the podcast. Yeah, now they're not all right. sitting as a character. Okay, we'll rewind this shit. <laughs> we already had to pause and re- record a bunch of shit, so we're going to do this too. <laughs> um, this is not a comparison or, or a similarity or a difference, uh, but I do have starred in my notes that Halloran literally says the plot or the point of this podcast when he says some places are like people, some shine, some don't. Yeah, that well, we know our podcast shines. Are like people. Our podcast does shine. So hopefully you and McGregor will save us. That'd be that'd be nice. Do you have any other ones? That's pretty much it. I got questions, so I think I have a couple of others. Let's see. Oh, go for it. Uh, both movies are movies about memory. Yes. Uh, which I guess goes hand in hand with that hot take nonsense I just said, but. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale is all about characters remembering their past, and The Shining is all about the Overlook remembering its past. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. Uh, uh, I think that's it for me for my similarities and differences. Yes, I also have questions, though, so let's go. Let's move to questions. Which of these two hotels would you rather stay the night at? Oh, easily the El Royale because it's kitschy and wonderful and beautiful and in California and well, on they left the stay. liquor there oh I'd stay on the California side <laughs> I don't care if it's dollar more expensive I'd stay on the California side but they left the liquor there there's no liquor at the at the Overlook assuming we're doing it in their primes yeah, yeah you're still not like, the El Royale yeah. because it's a badass fucking hotel El Royale hands down how about you I think I'd rather stay at the Overlook Ah, you know that doesn't surprise me actually I like it. I like cold and I like seclusion. Right, yeah. I feel like you would appreciate the solitude. Here's the thing, though. I would come visit you at the Overlook. Well, I hope you don't shine. No, I don't. But. This is where you say I would come visit you at the El Royale. Oh, yes. I'd go to the Nevada side of the El Royale. Ah, the secluded side. (laughs) Although in its prime, I feel like it's probably busier because of the gambling. Uh, Yeah, true. And. At a certain point, they had a liquor license in both. Right. It's only at the end of at the film they're like, oh, we lost it in this. I think it's the Nevada side. They yeah, they it. lost a lot of shit on that. Fuck Nevada. Although it's a dollar less, so I guess that's cool. <clears throat> Here's an interesting question? question about the El Royale. No, about The Shining. Mm-hmm. People have said before that Stephen King books are unfilmable. How do you feel about the idea of something of a of something being unfilmable? How does that phrase sit with you? Are there things that you think of as being unfilmable? I can't think of anything that I would say is unfilmable. I think certain things and not even going like, well, strictly speaking, you could film fucking anything. I but, mean, that's my answer. Cause, but. <laughs> I mean, cause, cause you, because you can't, even if it's right. not a good adaptation, right. it doesn't mean that it's unfilmable. And in a, which means in another, I guess, truer sense, nothing is completely filmable because nothing could be an Valid. exact adaptation of it. But I think it, you can try to make a film of anything. And I think as long as you're respectful of the source material, it really doesn't matter. It's going to be different. Like, 
my go-to is always Lord of the Rings movies. They changed a lot of stuff. They moved things around. They gave lines to other people, but they were very respectful of the source material, which is why they're such good adaptations. Here's an interesting follow-up to that question. A lot of people say that Stephen King movies are unfilmable because you have two options. One, either you change a lot, like The Shining, or you try your best to cram the weirdness of the Stephen King into one thing, and you get... Well, a movie that maybe doesn't have a great ending, like the original It miniseries. Yeah. How do you feel about? Do you have any? Do you have any opinions on on that? On whether or not a Stephen King book could ever be filmed and be both accurate to the source material and respectful to the source material and not suck. It would be tough. I think someone can do it. I th- I think they did do it with It. Dark Tower. <laughs> no actually hashtag real talk go see it chapter two but don't buy it on dvd until they can release the director's cut that they want to release that's six fucking hours long because that sounds gorgeous yeah and watch chapter one before that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. although it is also a really dope movie about memory so uh not watching it part one might be a cool oh. exercise in watching it chapter two in so much as the characters don't remember anything either oh. i'm not recommending you do that i think that would just be a weird <laughs> exercise you should probably watch the first one and the second one here's my next question shoot what other setting Me. would you like to see as a character in a movie so this is an interesting one. This is I don't know if this is the, the kind of answer you were looking for, but I was thinking about this when I was thinking about what do we pair The Shining with. Mm-hmm. And I like like Monster House. Like, Monster I House like, was the first thing I thought of when we talked about characters as setting. I like like literally it's the characters as setting. Yeah, like almost like Dungeons and Dragons mimic style. Yeah. Like I think that that's super interesting. Like a sentient spaceship. Or Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Like, I think that that's a cool idea. So I would go with, like, Monster House. Or I'd know that, I think, 1408 is kind of this way, I think. I don't know. I've not seen it. Um, Although I have seen it. The joke here is that both (laughs) of those movies are Stephen King adaptations. Um, But, no, I don't know. What have you seen? What? What have you seen? I have seen it. (laughs) Um... I think this one's going to run a little long because of our That's chicanery. Okay. That's okay. Um, but, no, I just, yeah, something something where the setting is properly a character. Like, in Doom Patrol, the street is literally a sentient street. Like, I think that that would be a really neat, like, in, in The Shining, it's kind of, it's a little nebulous. Like, yeah. is it actually? But I think that something more over, like, direct vocal communication would be really quite cool. How about you? I like Spaceship, and I like Hal in 2001 as a... Uh, While he is not necessarily the space station, he is in control of everything on it. So he essentially is. is. But he is also a setting as a character. That's cool. And also Kubrick. Yeah. I I didn't think about that. that, I really like that one. I like that movie. I don't get it, but I like it. Oh. (laughs) So many things out here in this world I don't know if I get, but I like... There's a... Interestingly enough, another Jack Nicholson line that I think of all the time in correlation to that in Batman when Joker is going through Vicki Vale's photographs and he's like flipping through all of like the fashion photographs. He's like, crap, crap, crap. And then he like is looking at like the death camp photos that she took and he's like, wow, 
this is dynamic. I love this. And he's like, I don't know if it's art, but I like it. <laughs> and I feel like that sometimes when, like, like things that I don't know if I get, I'm like, yeah, that was weird. I'm certain I don't understand what the <laughs> artist was trying to convey to me. But I enjoyed how it made me feel, even if I can't articulate what that is. Yeah. Seeing as this is our quote-unquote Halloween podcast ish the next one will also be very Halloween it will be hopefully we can get it out before Halloween but I think that we will Uh, if this is our Halloween podcast or the first of Mm -hmm. two Mm -hmm. uh, what's your favorite scary movie it's The Shining and I feel I knew that I knew it I knew it I knew it going in that's my and and to me I don't know because it's also it's not it doesn't scare me no well it's unnerving it's it's certainly unnerving, but like, I was talking with um, Amanda actually about like the scariest future two films through Curious Alum. Future yes. Now the scariest movie that I've seen in the context that I've seen it mm-hmm. is when I was a little kid and I saw Signs. Okay. The movie fucked me up as a proper kid. horror movie though, as opposed to mine yes. for the longest time being Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. Oh, I love that movie. Me too, but it was the scariest <laughs> movie I'd ever seen until like high school. So, but it's it's specifically the scene of the alien walking by in the birthday oh, yeah. footage. It's when he has the knife under the oh, door. Oh God! Yeah, I was just about to like, say that. I saw that movie once, and I it's just so burned into my head. Yeah, and I had nightmares about aliens for years because of that movie. Interesting. <laughs> I also had nightmares about sharks, but I was never really afraid of sharks, and huh. I, those were nightmares were before I saw Jaws. So. I watched a little bit of Jaws and then knew that it was going to terrify me and then immediately got up and walked out because little baby Billy was a smart cookie. Adult Bill, who knows, but baby (laughs) Billy knew when to stop. I think my scary, I think my favorite scary movie, oh, it it changes from day to day, hour to hour. Uh, I really did like It Chapter 2. Uh, I was really surprised that Bill Hyder made me cry at the end. Uh, both Hereditary and Midsummer were fucking horrifying. Just pure, straight terrifying. I was really impressed. Uh, Us, the Jordan oh, Peele mm-hmm, movie, mm-hmm. super scary. Like, maybe not talk oh. for a little bit. Is I, the, the lady who was at the other end of the row from us when uh, me and Tooth Films 3 Curious alum Devin went and saw it, left. She left halfway through the movie. She couldn't handle it. So that was... That was really good. I just like scary movies. I've been I've been increasingly watching more and more scary movies, and uh, I uh, I just like scary movies. I think though those are my standouts at least recently. Another standout for me is A Quiet Place. Ooh, A Quiet Place was good. Interestingly enough, as much as I liked A Quiet Place and know it to be the superior movie, I also really liked Bird Box. So if you want to watch A Blind Place, hop on to Netflix and watch Bird Box. And, and it was my also understanding good. Is, is... That's more like Eldritch type. Right, yeah. Quiet Place yeah. is theoretically is aliens. aliens. Yeah. And A Blind Place is Lovecraft. Yeah. But both were good. Quiet Although, Place is better. you should see, and I can't remember what it's called, but Amanda and I started about 30 minutes of it. There's an even more of a ripoff of A Quiet Place. Really? On Netflix. That's an, I think it's a Netflix original. That is literally all these huge bats get out of this cave, and they they're bats so according to popular culture they're blind even though most bats aren't blind right and they only see by echolocation which means you can't make noise we saw the trailer and we we're like this oh, is fucking yes. literally a quiet yeah place. okay so there's a meme and it's a delightful meme and it's a very niche prog rock meme but 
it's a picture of quiet place and it says uh can't speak right and then a picture of bird box and it's like can't see and then a picture of this other one that says like can't hear or whatever and then a picture of the Genesis album, uh, Men Can't Dance. <laughs> and it says, can't dance. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I have one more question. Okay. It's a personal question. Oh, I have a personal what, question. What to you, what is the most ghost-like thing that's happened to you? Oh, I don't know if I have an answer for that. And I don't like to say I don't believe in ghosts. Yeah, but me either. I don't. I don't want to say, but I don't not believe it. I just don't. I've never personally experienced something. I guess and I that's... can't take someone else's word on something like ghosts because it's so easy to hallucinate something. Or right. If I were to experience something that would make me believe in ghosts, I'm open to that. I guess, yeah. I guess but that's I've, where I'm I've never at. had anything like that in my life. So I guess I that's, with a lot, a lot of things that are based on belief, I have trouble doing that because I don't know why. Maybe I'm just a bastard. But, yeah, no, I, 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 I guess that I'm similar on that. I don't know. I think that... The, the the closest thing I've had to a I guess a supernatural experience is yeah, not every ghost maybe it's just supernatural like fucked up dreams I think are the closest yeah. I've had to a supernatural which my next question is have you ever killed a dream have you ever killed somebody in a dream and I had a just a, a horrifying terrifying just blood curdlingly scary nightmare where I killed Jack who doesn't listen to this podcast although I think I've told him this story before like I was pure straight horrified and I, I like walked to his bedroom and like peeked in to make sure that he was still breathing and yeah I mean he was making his fucking weird jack sleeping noise like <laughs> <laughs> which is his idle sleeping noise um but I was I like still it sits with me sometimes and like I'll joke about other things like I've had other nightmares where I'm like man that was terrifying in the moment but yeah. I moved on and that one still sits really uneasy with me I maybe haven't. in the future I'm gonna kill jack it was a prophetic dream. Ooh. I haven't had any dreams where I've killed anyone. Okay. Um, my most ghost-like experience was one time when I had sleep paralysis. Ah, okay. Which I understand is often accompanied with some kind of hallucination. Yeah. Which is why the old, like, pictures of sleep paralysis, like paintings, are like a demon sitting on you, and that's why you can't move. Right. But just waking up and not being able to move was yeah. very scary. <laughs> and initially is like a... I couldn't think of what happened. Oh, and there's another thing also that happened when I woke up one time. This is called, and I, I don't know that it was this, but this is on, there's a Wikipedia page for it called Exploding Head Syndrome, which is not actually your head exploding. Oh, that's It's that you cool. hear like a loud explosion. Like, weird. I was sound asleep. This was like 10, 12 years ago. So it wasn't just me farting? No. Okay. For you. It could have been. I, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> 10, 12 years ago, I was in the Dallas area. And I was just sound asleep, and this, I heard, again, it sounded like this loud, like, cacophonous explosion. Wow. And I woke up, and I thought, like, a fucking nuke just went off, like, miles away. Like, yeah. I looked outside, like, I went outside, I was freaked out until, like, everything was still fine, so that's the only time it's ever happened. Huh. Just like I only had sleep paralysis once as well. Interesting. So, that was also a scary thing. I a yeah I don't know like thing I guess or supernatural. At the risk of sounding like some sort of that guy, most of the scary, most of the scary things that I experience are in the torment of my own soul. 
no, I got a lot of anxiety in my heart, and so like I, I can't yeah. think of like things outside that scare me. Like I'm not really like, I'm I'm not really frightened when I'm like by myself in a scary room. Like a noise goes off and someone's like, "What's that?" And I'm like, I don't know. A like fridge, somebody's fridge or dryer or somebody yeah. shot somebody. But we're in here. It's probably fine. <laughs> this land is Garland. Right. Hashtag this land is Garland. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I I don't know. But the, yeah, the scariest thing like that that's ever happened to me was the time that I killed Jack. Yeah, better. He got better. Well, <laughs> as much as he could get. <laughs> he lost Sorry, a lot Jack. Of blood that day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you said, what movie would you? What other setting is character? Would you want? Yeah. Would you want? Do you think that could you come up with another another interesting duo with one of these movies and something else that's not setting related? What do you mean that's not setting related? Like, would you pair The Shining or Bad oh, Times at the El Royale with something else based on another category? category. Yeah. Hmm. What you said about Lord of the Rings got me thinking about uh, interesting adaptations. So if we want to do yet another yet another series on adaptation, a fucking unfilmable book that was, sure, 12 hours long, but, and also The Shining. Hmm. That thing you do and uh, bad times at the El Royale, interesting musical period pieces. Yeah, I would try to think of something that has a similar soundtrack to The Shining. And maybe oh, that. okay. Yeah, but it would be it would be hard to find that without it being also a horror movie. True. No other movies have that just like weird noise. Valid. Well. Do you have any other questions? Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Thank you guys for bearing with us through what was, uh, I think, a little bit silly of a podcast. Yeah. But also, it's spooky. It's spooky. Happy Halloween. Mm-hmm. Happy 1st of October. Ha- all those things. All of those things. Uh, keep watching movies and. Uh, yeah. yeah. Stay, Stay curious. curious. We, Stay love you. we love you. <laughs>